Journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Welcome everybody, Shavua Tov, and it's wonderful to be with you again. And um, we are list- we are learning the the Pasha of Ayera, and uh, we are going to be starting to Genesis twenty. One, I think it is. If I could just mention Craig, I'm hearing a, there you go. I was just hearing a, uh, an echo. So it was a bit hard to talk. Now I can hear myself instead of hearing myself and uh, talking back again. So we're going to be starting Genesis 21, Parshas Vayera. Um, and we're going to come to a very, very exciting part now because after all the comings and goings and trials and tribulations, we are coming now to the point where Abraham and Sarah are going to be giving birth to their son Yitzchak. Now, this has been a long time in coming. Um, as we know, previously we were learning that um, it was on the first day of Pesach that the angels came to visit Abraham. Abraham had just circumcised himself. It was the third day. And they promised, the uh, the angel Michal promised Sarah that he will return at the same time next year in the same place and she will have a child. And we had a whole discussion about her laughing, which we will discuss a little bit more now. But now we are going to come to understand what this entire, how this entire story unfolded, because there really is, when you're looking into the Mepharashim, you're looking into the explanations of the Torah, you will see that there really are two concurrent opinions as to when indeed Sarah fell pregnant. So let's just take the timeline um, as we know it from um, where we left off last week. And follow that through and then take a different opinion because, um, interestingly, what we are going to learn now actually is the basis for the Torah reading on Rosh Hashanah. So I'm going to touch base on that soon. Let's just take it from what seemingly looks like the most logical uh, timeline first and then come back and understand this other aspect. So... We are told as follows, that um, the angels came to Abraham in Nisan. It was Pesach time, so it would have been the 15th of Nisan. And he informed them that the angels informed Abraham that Yitzhak would be born. What happened after that, directly after that, we're told in the Yalkut Mamloyes that on the second day of Pesach, the second night, that was when storm was destroyed. If you recall, the angels came. One angel said, you're going to have a child. The other angel came to heal. And the third angel came to came to tell Abraham that he was going to storm and Gomorrah and he was going to destroy them. So, first day of Pesach, they received the news that they were going to have a child. The second date of Pesach, day of Pesach was when the angels went, spent the night overnight, and the second day of Pesach there was the destruction of Sodom. And then we are told that that second night was the time when Lot, he had run away from Sodom and Gomorrah. He tried to go to the, the, the city 
um, and he, he decided he didn't want to stay there. He went into the cave, and it was on the second night where we had that whole incestuous relationship with his daughters, and that led eventually to the birth of the nations of Amnon and the Plishtim. We are told that what happened was that Abraham then left Hebron. That's what we spoke about last week. He left Hebron because number one, he wasn't getting wayfarers. Number two, he didn't, he didn't, uh, like the fact that he was so close to Storm and Gomorrah and people were confusing him a lot and thinking maybe he was involved in incestuous relationship. So off he goes and he lives in the land of the Plishtim in, near Grar. And we have, as we explained, Many, um, the, the whole story last week about Sarah being found in the palace of the king of Avimelech and the whole debacle. Six months had passed from the time of Nisan. It was coming now, um, round about, um, Av and Sarah found out that she was pregnant with her child, with a child. And if you work it backwards, um, we, we can work backwards that she probably fell pregnant after she left the palace of Avimelech. Now, the one thing that is certain, and even though we're going to be discussing many opinions, the one thing that is certain is that one year later, exactly on the first day of Pesach, Yitzchak was born. So Yitzchak was born on the 15th of Nisan. So if you go back 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, that means if Sarah carried full term, she probably fell pregnant with him round about the 15th of Tammuz. That allows for about four months from the time she got the message for them to relocate, to get stuck in Avimelech's palace, leave Avimelech's palace and fall pregnant. Now, if we go and look at chapter 21, um, verse 1, the verse reads as follows, Hashem pakad et Sarah ka'asher amar, Hashem remembered um, Sarah as he had said, Ya'as Hashem Sarah ka'asher dibar, and he did for Sarah as he promised. This means that he remembered what he had appointed, what time he had made for Sarah. He said, oh, this time next year, on the 15th of Nisan, the next Pesach, you're going to have a child. So now he remembered what he had said, and therefore he caused for Sarah to do as he promised. He he caused Sarah to fall pregnant. Now, it's a very, very strange way of saying that a person falls pregnant. Generally, you hear that, she conceived and she gave birth. That she did for, God did for Sarah as he had spoken, because we know very well that Sarah had a few things against her, and we've spoken about it before. Number one, she was barren. We are told that she didn't have a womb. Number two, even if we don't hold that opinion, she was 99. She had gone through menopause. And we know that was her reaction when the angel went and said, I'm going to come back next time 
at this appointed time and you're going to have a child, she laughed inside of her because she thought, how can it possibly be that I am going to have a child when for 99 years I've been barren uh, or I've gone through menopause or any of all the natural ways that she understood that she could never ever give, she, she would never ever be able to give birth that that would have to be a miraculous thing. And so this verse comes to teach us that God remembered what he had appointed, the time he had appointed for Sarah, and now he did what he promised, and he caused her to become pregnant. So she must have fallen pregnant round about the month of Tammuz. Now, because this was an unnatural um, conception and birth, there was a whole lot of miracles that came with it. We're going to go for an ad break and afterwards we're going to understand what miracles actually occurred in order that Sarah would have her child. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Sounds yummy. It seems like everybody is getting onto the bandwagon and making things happen. Well done everybody out there. Right. So here we have an interesting situation, as we spoke before the break, where Sarah has, uh, is, is incapable of giving birth herself, conceiving herself, but God remembers her and he um, appoints a time for her to fall pregnant. Now, um, there was many considerations to take, in, to, to take into account if we are following that she fell pregnant after she left Avimelech. The very first one was that it was known that she was infertile. Now suddenly she was going to have a baby and there probably would have been a lot of social media going around at the time. Um, and by that I mean not through obviously Facebook and Instagram, but certainly about the cackling that would go around in the society that she lived, that she actually fell pregnant with Avi Melech's child and not Abraham's child. Um, and that, the way they would prove it is that with Abraham, she didn't conceive, but if she spent a night or two or three or a couple of nights in Abimelech's harem, she would have fallen pregnant. So the first thing that happened was that she didn't fall pregnant immediately um, as she left. There was a space and time um, so that if you worked back nine months, you would see that conception would have only happened maybe four or five weeks after she had left Abimelech's place. That was number one. Number two, what God did as a miracle was that when uh, Yitzchak was born, uh, Yitzchak looked exactly like Abraham. There was absolutely no question in anybody's minds they didn't need genetic counseling, genetic testing, DNA unraveling to go and see that Yitzchak was in fact Abraham's child. Um, and that was done purposefully so that nobody would be able to go and say later, oh, no, it, it wasn't her child. It was Avi Melech's child. So when they saw that Yitzhak looked exactly like Abraham without any difference at all, everyone had to admit that he was in fact um, Abraham's son. So that's, 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 that, that, that's the first idea. The second idea that we are told was is based on a, a another another uh, scenario where the rabbis go and say no she didn't fall pregnant and carry for a full nine months 
she actually fell pregnant in Tishrei, okay, and she gave um, she gave birth in Nisan, which if you start adding up the whole story, she only carried for seven months, which now actually exacerbates the whole uh, story because not only is she infertile, barren, menopausal, but now she doesn't have a, a full-time pregnancy. Now, where do the rabbis work this out? They go and say that um, the whole first verse that I read to you, the Hashem Pakad et Sarah Kasher Amar, that God remembered the, appoint, the, the appointment of Sarah. He considered Sarah as he had said, and he did for Sarah as um, as was told. We're told that when did God remember Sarah? Like when did he have a consideration of Sarah? He had a consideration of Sarah on Rosh Hashanah. What happened was God opened up the books, as we know, that on Rosh Hashanah we are all judged for the year ahead. He opened up the book of life and death, the book of, 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 of Parnassa, the book of children, the book of everything. And in it, he sees that he remembers that he had promised Sarah a child. It was the first day of Rosh Hashanah, and he realizes that now he needs to fulfill that. Vahashem pakadet Sarah. He remembers Sarah, and he does what he promises to Sarah, uh, we are told that what happened then on the 15th day of Tishrei, which is the, uh, the first day of Sukkot, she fell pregnant and she carried the child for exactly seven months and gave birth to Yitzchak on the 15th of Nisan, um, the following year. So the miracle even became greater. We are now talking about the fact that um, she gives birth naturally, but she gives birth in a healthy manner, and, um, and, and, and that's how it panned out. That is the reason why we read the verses of this entire episode on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, because there is a tremendous emph- emphasis on the word pakad, the Hashem pakad et Sarah. Hashem remembered Sarah. Um, why? Because we're standing on Rosh Hashanah, each and every one of us as individuals, and we are being remembered by God. We are filing past God, as we say, um, like a flock of sheep, and God is remembering what he promised, what he needs to put in thing, and our, our muzzle, our future for the next year is being determined. And just like God remembered Sarah on the first day of Rosh Hashanah and fulfilled a promise, we read it not only to remind God that this is a time of Pikadon, a time when God has to remember us, but that he should fulfill his promise just like um, he did with Sarah. So this and all these verses now that we are studying now became the Torah reading, one of that we take out more than one Torah on on Rosh Hashanah, and becomes part of the reading um, of the, the Torah on Rosh Hashanah, simply because of that. There's also another reason um, that we are told why things changed for Sarah, and this is based um, and is is well known that in the time of the temple, in the time of the Beit Hamikdash, 
where there was a special ritual. Now, it's a very complicated ritual. I cannot go and explain it in its entirety because um, this is not the time and place. But if in the time of a temple, a woman was suspected by her husband of adultery, what would happen is that the man would bring the woman to the temple. There would have to be uh, witnesses. There would have had to be prior warning. And there's a whole lot of uh, technicalities that would have to be fulfilled. I'm giving to you in the general way. But the woman was brought to the temple. What would happen would be that the uh, the, the high priest would scrape certain verses pertaining to this um, this mitzvah um, would scrape the verses off the parchment of the Torah, put it into water, and the woman would be given this special prepared water to drink. And the water, so to speak, would determine whether she was guilty or not. If she had indeed committed adultery, we're told that these bitter waters would make her swell up, and would cause her flesh to fall away. It was a terrible, terrible death. But if she was innocent, and not only would she remain unharmed, but she would gain a benefit in that if she was childless, she would conceive that year to make up for the anguish of her having suffered from being falsely suspected. All of this you can find out if you would like to to read about it. It's in Bamidbar. It's in the book of Numbers, chapter 5, verse 28. But why am I telling it to you in this context? Because we are told that Sarah, so to speak, was suspected of similar suspicions uh, because she was in Abimelech's harem and it was as if she was now also considered a soita, a woman who was suspected of adultery. And so what God did there, no, she didn't have to drink the bitter waters because it wasn't her husband who suspected, but it was just the cackle and uh, uh, chatter of the people around her. But because she had that suspicion, she also landed up getting the 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 reward of having a child, of conceiving and having a child and proving that, in fact, she was not at all um, an adulteress and had not committed adultery with Avi Melech. Very interestingly also, we are told that even though everything in the world is directed by a special, uh, a special angel, there is an angel that oversees conception, but when it came to the conception of Yitzchak, God himself performed the miracle, and that's why we have the Hashem Pakad Yitzhara. Hashem was the one that um, saw to the fact that Sarah would fall pregnant. Now, I want to divert a little bit just to, to um, look at the word Pakad. Pakad here means considered. But it also, it also comes from the word picadon. Picadon can mean a deposit or something kept in trust. And understood in the context of what we're learning, we're saying that deposited in trust in God's trust bank account was the fact that he promised the child and now he was withdrawing that deposit and making it, making it something that is going to happen. And while I was learning this together, uh, with my, my, my shear group this week, I said to them, it is of 
no coincidence, it's Hashkacha Pratis, it is divine providence, that we macrocosmically are living as well in a year of Pekida, of Pikadon. Why am I saying that? Because this year, Jewish year, is the year 5780. If you want to write that out, it is Tafshin Pei. And the words for Tafshin Pei stand for 5780 numerically, but uh, an, an acronym for it would be Tehe Shnat Pikadon. Let it be a year of remembrance. 80 is the letter Pei. It's got the same numerical value. And um, when Rosh Hashanah rolled in last year, there was a tremendous amount of discussion amongst many, many Torah scholars that this year will be a year of remembrance, of deposit of God looking and saying, I've promised the Jewish people um, commutatively as a whole the uh, the arrival of Mashiach, the the um, need for a messianic redemption where we will herald in a world of peace and harmony of health and happiness and all the good all the good things and um, I'm going to make it happen I'm going to make it happen and lo and behold here we are probably about nine months no wrong not about nine months wait we've been seven um yeah, we've got Tamuz Avanello. We've, we're nine months into the year 5780 and um, our entire world has gone upside down. We've had a tremendous shift and a tremendous change um, in the world. And whilst it has been a pretty painful change and a, a disruption, nevertheless, um, it is seemingly falling into place that God is remembering us and starting now to accelerate and change the world in order for it to be prepared for the arrival of Mashiach. Now, I guess for all of you listening out there, and you're welcome to comment if you'd like on the SMS line 34519, um, you could go and say, well, it doesn't really look like Mashiach is coming. It looks like there's more Balagan in the world than there ever has been. And um, it looks like we've retarded, not gone forward, but actually have gone backwards. So I'd like to spend a few minutes just to address this idea, because in truth, whenever we look at something new coming into this world, um, we always see that it lands up having to be disruptive in its in its in its origin, um, in order to make way, in order to shift, in order to. Um, make fertile ground for something else to flourish. Interestingly, and I'm going to apply it from a business concept, in December um, we went away and it was a, an overseas trip, it was a long flight, and I plugged in my, my earphones and I went on to one of the business channels on the aircraft's uh, entertainment channel, and I came across a, a woman, her, her name eludes um, me now, but she was just a speaker on a concept that has, has actually spoken about amongst many business leaders, and that is the concept of disruptive innovation. And in short, disruptive innovation means exactly that. In order to be innovative, 
And in order to bring new things to a marketplace, this is in the business theory, which I will derive soon for you, but in order to be innovative and to bring new things to a market, to, to, to invent new things or change things, to make them a new way, you have to be what they call in business a disruptor, a person who's disruptive, meaning you're going to go against the grain. You're going to go against the thinking that is happening. You're going to go against the way things are done. And you're going to break into the market in order so that you can innovate. And there's many, many examples where people saw gaps or saw lacks or saw things being done in a wrong way, they became disruptive, they hit against very, very difficult things, but eventually their innovation into the marketplace, be it a concept, be it a product, be it a new business model, be it a new way of investing, whatever it is, eventually came to the fore. Now, what was the most interesting thing about this disruptive innovation was that she said, while you are disrupting, you will see that the graph um, that measures your success will be flatlined. You know, we always talk about flattening the, the, the curve. Well, here the curve is flat. She says it will be flatlined. It will look like as if you were hitting your head against the wall. It will look like there's too many obstacles. It will look like the world was telling you that you're loony and you can't bring what you're wanting to do in. But she says a disruptive innovator will be somebody who will ride the wave of that flat line because when the, the idea comes about, you will suddenly see that flat curve take off and the growth will be exponential. You will grow at a rate that is probably six times faster than if you try to do something that's tried and tested in this world. A fascinating, fascinating discussion and idea about doing business um, and doing things um, in, in, in the business world. But if you actually start thinking about it, disruptive innovation is something that each and every single one of us should be able to do um, and should do in our lives. Um, we are constantly called upon to innovate, to recreate ourselves, to find new things about ourselves. And in order to do that, we have to become disruptive. We have to break bad habits. We have to find new habits. We have to learn new things. And you can see where I'm going with this. If you now look at the world, there is no question that the world at large in a macrocosmic way is actually going through a period of disruptive innovation. It seems as if we've taken 20 steps back, but what is really happening is that everybody in their sphere, in their place, in, in whatever it is that they're doing, um, has been forced to become a disruptor to disrupt the way that we lived in order for us to take a good, long, hard look and to recreate or innovate and bring out another type of idea. And so what we're seeing in the world today is that if we are in Taf Shinpei in the year 5,780 and we look at this as a picadon, as a, a year of remembrance, then I think that we're right now on the flat line of the curve, but this whole world 
is now going to be recreated in a way that is far greater than each and any one of us can individu- individually conceive. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Well, welcome back. And just off, just before the um, air break, we were talking about disruptive innovation. I believe that we are going through that right now. I believe that this year is a picadon. It is a year where God is looking into the books, remembering who we are, remembering where we've come from. And we are going through a disruption now. But this disruption is there in order to help us um, birth a new world just like in the time of Sarah, she went through a picadon where God remembered her and she too um, gives birth now really to the first fully um, born Jew and who will be the second of the forefathers of the Jewish people. So if you look at verse 2 of chapter 21, it reads, Vatahar vatelet Sarah. And so Sarah conceived and Sarah gave birth. Le Avraham, to Avraham, ben liskunav, a son in his old age, le moed asher diber oto elokim, at the correct time that God had promised them. Exactly as the angel Michal had said, I will be back at this time next year. Exactly where it is, we are told that um, Sarah gave birth to Yitzchak at the very hour that was promised by the angel. He was born in the year 2048. Excuse me, that's the Jewish year. Um, on the 15th of Nisan, if you want to stick it into Gregorian calendar, it would be April the 6th in the year 1713 BCE, before the Common Era. Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah was 90. We are told that he was born on the night of Pesach and that she gave birth to Yitzchak without any pain. Um, and then it continues. Vayikra Abraham et Shem Beno Hanolad lo Ashe Yalda lo Sarah Yitzchak. Now here is a really seemingly badly construed sentence. Okay? The sentence is coming to teach us that Avram called his son Yitzchak. But the way that it is read um, seems pretty convoluted and construed. Um, what it should read should be, Vayikra Avraham Echem Beno Yitzchak. And Avraham called the son, the name of his son, Yitzchak. But we have the following, Vayikra Avraham Echem Beno, Avraham called the name of his son, Hanolad Lo, who was born to him, Asheyalda lo Sarah, who gave birth, who Sarah gave birth to Yitzchak. What's the name of your son? You can ask. The name of the son that was born to me, that was given birth by my wife, name is Yitzchak. That's really what the Torah is saying. What a convoluted way to, to do things. So, um, why are we being told this? So this goes back to the fact that this is verifying without compuncture at all that this child was infected. His, his, his maternal, paternal parents, both sides, 
his, his genetic parents were Sarah and Abraham. Vayikra Abraham et Shem Abraham called the name of his son Hanolad Lo, that, that, that he gave birth to. Meaning, there was no question, it was Abraham that was the father. Asheyalda Lo Sarah, that Sarah gave birth to. And there was no question that Sarah carried him. Yitzchak. They called him Yitzchak. So here we've got the, 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 the understanding that Abraham and Yitzhak, there was absolutely no questions that Sarah and um, Abraham were the parents of Yitzhak. Vayamal, we're looking at uh, verse 4, Vayamal Abraham et Yitzhak, Abraham circumcises Yitzhak, Beno Yitzhak his son, Ben Shmonat Yamim, in eight days, just as God gave birth to him. So circumcision of the first Jewish child um, actually happens at eight days old, as is our custom to this very day, Yitzchak being the recipient of the first child to be circumcised at the correct time. Yes, Abraham did circumcise himself. He did when he was 99 years old. Yes, he did circumcise Yishmael, his son from Hagar, but he was 13 years old. Here we have got... Uh, in black and white, that um, he circumcised his son at exactly the right time as God had commanded him. And God commands us to do, and as the Jewish people have always done, at the right time, at the, 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 the time of eight days old. We're going to go back for a little bit of a break, and then we are going to wrap up and understand what the name Yitzchak actually stands for. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back, and we've just got a couple of minutes with each other, so let's wrap up uh, a very interesting idea about the significance of Yitzchak's name. Yitzchak comes from the word tzachak, which means to laugh, and uh, we all know that the reason why it says that is because Sarah laughed to herself incredulously that she was going to have a child at the age of 99. But there are also other mystical reasons as to why Yitzchak's name was as it is. And I'm going to share you one from the study of Gematria, from the numerical uh, values of the name. So we know that Yitzchak is made up of four letters, a Yud, a Tzadi, a Ches, and a Kof. Um, now, each of these letters have a numerical value. The Yud is 10, the Tzadi is 100, the Chet is 8, and sorry, the Tzadik is 90, I apologize, the Chet is 8, and the Kuf is 100. So again, quickly, we've got 10, 90, 8, and 100. And our rabbis teach that the formulation of the name was representative of four ideas that come together with Yitzchak. The first is Yud. The Yud stands for the Ten Commandments and that this child was actually a first Jew born from birth and he would be the ancestor and the progenitor of the, of the nation that would receive the Ten Commandments. It was because of Yitzchak now that the, the nation of Israel started and 
We only landed up being birthed as a people when we received the Torah, which we are going to be celebrating very soon in the next 10 days um, on the festival of Shavuot. So just like Yitzchak was born to Avram and Sarah and became the first Jew, so too the Jews became the, 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 the children of Israel became the, the, the nation of Israel when we received the Ten Commandments, and that is represented by the Yud in his name. The Chet stands for the eight days um, after which he was circumcised. We spoke about that. Now, the Tzadi uh, represents 90, and this shows that Sarah was 90 years old when he was born, and the Kuf was a hundred years old. Um, of course, stands for when uh, is a hundred is a hundred and stands for the fact that Abraham, in fact, was a hundred years old when he gave birth to 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 Yitzchak. So there you have it. We now have the roots, the seed of the Jewish people coming into the world. It was something that God had to remember, something God had to bring into this world. And just like I explained, that this year is a year of remembrance, a year of Pekida. We hope and we trust and we pray that the disruption that we are going through presently in our lifetime, just as there came a birth of Yitzhak and a birth of an entire new world and an entire nation, we our prayer is that Hashem will remember us as well. And this disruption will innovate and bring the world that we've all been promised for, for the last 5,780 years, a world that will go back to Gun Aden and a world where we will live in peace and harmony, health and happiness, and may it happen speedily in our days. Have a wonderful week.